been talking to you about uh, a lot of things on our list, huh? Submission, commitment, discipline, zeal. Uh, I put a definition for zeal over there because we're going to continue in some of these things concerning zeal. Um, I think I've said this to you before, but it's, it's a positive thing that I want you to uh, um, put in your mind. They were talking today about you can't overcome without Jesus. Isn't that true? It, it, there are things in our lives that are happening to us. There are things that give us trouble. There are things that bring tribulation to us. But the only way to overcome those things, the only way to overcome those voices, the only way to overcome those spirits is to do what? Have Jesus there with you, you know, to overcome. So what does that take? Does it take faith in him? Does it take belief in him? Does it take a believing that he's always there with you? Is it loving him more? Loving him to the point where you want to do everything the Lord tells you to do. Now, Jesus was a great example of zeal. Uh, remember, I used the example, I think, last week about when he whipped the money changers out and all of that, you know, and the scripture was fulfilled. I think it's somewhere in Psalms. I'm not, I can't remember where. 69 and 9, maybe. Uh, but where it says, um, uh, the zeal of thy house has eaten me up, you know. So what was he saying? Was he saying that he was so full of zeal to want to do the Father's will? In other words, he was committed by his will to do what the Father wanted. The zeal of thine house has eaten me up. What he sent as uh, uh, the propitiation for our sins, fulfilling all of that, and then at the same time, cleansing his house, isn't he? Cleansing the house from merchandising. Cleansing the house from trafficking. Can you look at it that way? Isn't that what happened to the 28th chapter of Ezekiel with Lucifer trafficking those things, merchandising things? Well, that's the exact spirit that he's talking about that had entered into the money changers in the temple. We have to take that temple as being our own temple, and what we allow in it is what has, we have to watch that. You know, what do we allow to come into our spirit? A house is your spirit, is it not? So the, the house of the Lord is the place where his spirit resides. Israel, back in the old days, they had a tabernacle they took from place to place. The church traveled with them, didn't it? And they had a place, the Holy of Holies, that was set up in there. They took the, the Ark of the Covenant and so forth. They, and in the Holy of Holies, there was the, the Ark of the Covenant with the two cherubims over, the mercy seat, all of that, remember? And they traveled. It went with them and accompanied them day by day. Now that mercy seat, now that Holy of Holies is within. You're a priest. You can enter into that now. It's not like the, what Israel had to go through. Now we have a personal relationship by spirit with God. We have Jesus in us, the anointing in us, John 2.27. The anointing that abideth in you, it's in us now. So uh, God took it from being outward to being inward. And this is why we have the word written in our hearts. There was a law that they had before. I, I like how Dave put it. Under the law, we had one type of glory. It's a lower glory, but one type, because it was a list of do's and don'ts. You, you followed the law, you know, and according to what the law said, you, you knew what sin was, okay? But then men started to do what? They became weak in the flesh and couldn't keep the law. Isn't that what the eighth chapter of, of uh, Romans tells us? That, uh, let's see, how did it put it? They were weak in the flesh. 
So in their weakness in the flesh, the, the remembrance every year of what they did during the time of that weakness was brought up before them all the time, wasn't it? Priests had to go in yearly, offer for the sins of the people. You know, a remembrance of sin. Well, God doesn't want us to remember sin. He wants us to overcome sin. Even in this flesh, overcome sin in the flesh because Jesus did it, okay? So there's a very powerful thing about having a zeal. You have to, I think Seth asked a question of, of uh, Gary. He said, you know, where do you get your drive from to do the things that you do? You know, all the elders have a certain amount of drive. If you notice, I mean, I was asking somebody the other day, I don't know who it was. I said, just think about how many times have I been before you teaching lessons, preaching on Sunday, whatever. Could you num- number those over the years? How many times are always being willing to be put forward uh, to speak that word of God, wanting to be, what's the term I want to use? Being used of God. What if I told you I love being used of God? I love that. I love the opportunities uh, to speak to my world and to your world, to partake of things that God has given through understanding and wisdom. I love it. So, so to me, it's not, oh, man, you've done that 10,000 times now in the last 10 years. So what? That's not, it's not a work that you do through the flesh and you start tallying up what you do. It's not like that. It's an opportunity. I love those opportunities. Uh, um, I took one recently. I think Ernest and Evelyn wasn't feeling well, remember? She wasn't feeling well. And, uh, and instead of canceling that night, you know what? Something rose up in me and said, I have something to say. <laughs> I always have something to say. People say, well, maybe that's too much. Maybe you always have too much to say. But no, I always have something to say. I, I always have something to say for God. I believe that God always words my mouth and gives me the thoughts that I need to present. Because there was a time I thought I had to do it. Oh, man. And I got to keep apologizing to you guys because, you know, those long papers and two or three of them and one after another, page one, page two, page three. Isn't that, that was a long time ago, but we did that, didn't we? Didn't we? We did that. We thought it was within us to have to perform the work. We didn't allow grace to work, and we did not enter into the rest. The rest is what God had already prepared, right? You think about Adam in the garden. Did Adam have to work in the garden? Even though God told him to keep it and dress it, did he have to work? Were the trees already there? Was the fruit already there? Was the water already there? Did him and Eve, even after Eve came out, wasn't everything provided for them? Wow. That's kind of a powerful thing. Everything that was needed. Children of Israel, I think about this. God prophesied to them and said, I'm going to take you to a place flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to take you to a place where you didn't farm the land. You didn't grow the vegetables and the fruits. You did not build the cities. You did not put the fields there full of grain, whatever. You didn't do any of that. What I'm going to do, I'm going to lead you to a place flowing with milk and honey already prepared for you. And I'm going to remove the enemies that are there. Well, they were enemies of God first before they were their enemies. You know, you say, why would God take somebody else's stuff and give it to someone else? But they were being judged for being idol worshipers and whatever. He said, I didn't put Israel, I didn't do this for you because you were the biggest and the greatest and the best and all that stuff. He said, I'm still judging the wicked is what he did. And he said, and I'm going to take them. There's a reward for the wicked. And the reward for the wicked is that you will not profit. 
in any way. So God could say, I can give this to my people. Doesn't he say that about the flesh? About not profiting? It profiteth nothing. That's the parable that was working there. The parable of that which was wicked, that profited nothing, that had Satan roaming in it. That's who's in the flesh, right? And it profiteth nothing. So God brought the reward to them that worship other than him, that opposed him, that opposed his word. So for all of this, wickedness being great. Think about Sodom and Gomorrah, how wicked that place was as an example. You know, all these things. That's not the only place that was like that. But think about that. It was a lesson to us how evil that was, right? Think about 6th chapter of Genesis where it says their hearts were only on evil continually, and that started religion in our world. I, I, I think about this often, about how man wanted to worship his way and not according to the way that God had asked to do it. God asked to worship him a certain way because he has an order. And that order of worship, the government that we have even here in the earth, I'm not talking about this physical earth, the government we have in the earth, in the spiritual earth, the heavenly earth, you want to call it that, that government blesses us. That's the place where Jesus walked. That's where the miracles were done. That's where people were healed. That's where the apostles came out. And that's where they preach the word to all these different nations that are there. Do we have those nations that we see them right here in the physical earth, in our world? How would we know there's an Antioch if there wasn't an Antioch? You see what I mean? That was in our world first, but then they named another one here, right? All they did was follow the, the things that, you know, the reason I mentioned Antioch, that was Paul's base of operation for a lot of things before he went out doing a lot of things. And we were first called Christians at Antioch. Uh, as a bad word, as a, oh yeah, those Christians, you know, the followers of Christ. But that's what we were first called that in Antioch. That's something good for us to know. We are peculiar people. We've been separated by God. We are the ecclesia, separated, the called out ones. That's who we are. So knowing who you are makes a big difference. Yes, I've been called by God. I've been called out of the world into light. I've been called out of darkness into light. So all of these things are important for you to understand. You have to walk in those things because you are that. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Sometimes we don't think so because we've seen darkness in us or we've done things that were not pleasing or opposed God. But here's the thing. If you belong to God, can he help you overcome those things? Yes. Can he help you overcome all those extra voices that you hear? Can he help you overcome those spirits that brought back into your temple? Can he cleanse your temple and throw those spirits off of the throne and put you back on your throne, put you back on the seat in your temple? Can God do that? He's doing it now. We are joining ourselves to God at this time. You're the spirit, right? To allow God to work in us, allow the spirit to lead us, not doing things by rote because you just do them over and over again and you read about it, not doing things because you can repeat it or mock it, doing things because God has blessed you and showed you what you must do. Has God been showing any of you anything about what you must do, about issues in your life? God's been showing me, okay, I have this issue here and I have this. This is what I'm going to direct you to do. This is what God is showing me in the spirit that has to be done to overcome that. Are we going to be overcomers? If we follow that, we will be. If we don't follow it, we will not be an overcomer. That thing will overcome us. That's how it works. So I think I told you this before, 
to have the zeal of the Lord, to have that hunger, to have that appetite, to want to do the will of God, that comes from God himself. You love God, what is God going to give you by his spirit? He's going to give you a love for him, a zeal for him that you want to accomplish. Those that say, hey, it's like Paul said when he was on the way to Damascus, knocked down to the ground, saw that light brighter than the noonday sun. He knew it had to be God. He knew it only God could do something like that. And it spoke to him. And, and he saw that vision. And he said, who art thou, Lord? Didn't he say that? Who are you? I mean, I know this has got to be God, but who are you? What are you doing here? Maybe it was an angel. Maybe it was this. He had a lot of thoughts going through his mind. But he did say, who art thou, Lord? He knew it had to be something greater than him. And, and the Lord answered and, to- and shocked him. I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Wait, wait, wait. I'm on my way to Damascus now to get a bunch of them. <laughs> so I can, you see what I mean? I, he said, I know you, Paul. I know you, actually Saul. If you notice, Jesus didn't address him as Paul. He said, Saul, Saul. Didn't he say that? Why dost thou persecute me? He's still calling him by his Hebrew name. Once he changes and becomes Paul, that's his Latin name. That's his, his uh, Gentile name. It, the, he had both names, but one was under the Jewish faith, but then he became the what? the apostle to the Gentiles. So I think it's the 13th chapter of Acts, his name, they start addressing him, Paul, who was called Saul. They switch it, don't they? Go back there and you'll read. That's when his name starts to change because now he's following as an apostle to the Gentiles. And so it's easier to call him Paul than to call him Saul as he was under the Hebrew. So he's still the same man. He's doing the thing. He's the same man in name, for Saul, but then he gets changed to Paul because he's the same man that's going to establish all those churches. He's the man that God had ordained to do that. Didn't he tell Ananias, I want you to go lay hands on him. I want you to pray for him. And Ananias told the Lord, he said, Lord, I've heard about this guy. He said, no, don't worry about him. He's praying now. Go lay your hands on him and tell him what things he's going to have to suffer for my name's sake. Already suffering is going to be involved in that. But he laid his hands on him. He said, Brother Paul, or maybe he said Brother Saul. I can't remember which one he said. The Lord told me to come and, and lay my hands on you so that you are going to accomplish what he said to do and see, let you know what things you're going to suffer for his name's sake. And as soon as those scales fell from his eyes and so forth, what did they find Paul doing? Was he not preaching in the marketplaces? He said, wait, 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 wait. Isn't this the same one? The same one that was hailing people and pulling people and putting them in prison and was consenting to their death. Is this the same one? Now he preacheth Jesus. What a powerful testimony that God could take the worst of the worst and change him to be the best of the best. That's a powerful thing. And that's what he did with him. So this zeal, do you think Paul had a zeal? Woo. Did he, did he prove the zeal he had for God? Wrote two-thirds of the New Testament? Think about this. Traveled constantly to visit the churches, which is, we're going to take the same concept, do the same thing. Constantly traveling. Constantly allowing his spirit to be present with those so that he could see what was going on in the churches, like he did in the church of Colossae. 
That was a powerful thing. Hey, the conflict was chapter two. We haven't seen him in the flesh. You don't have to. He's been there in the spirit the whole time. I, I want you to think about something. Where do you think all those churches were? They were in Paul. He was chosen to be the apostle to the Gentiles, to the churches that were being established. And it was such a powerful thing because that had been in prophecy. So that came through Jesus. That came through Peter being the chief apostle, opening the door to Cornelius. And then it came through Paul, a chosen apostle, out of due season to have the Gentile have his own apostle to draw them out and join them to the body of Christ. God cared about the Gentiles, didn't he? We're, we're in the Gentile dispensation right now. The Jews are not in the leading dispensation now. We're in a Gentile dispensation. And it's good that we are because the Jews, through jealousy and through opposing the things that are coming to the Gentiles, are going to be saved through that, through that Gentile, through that jealousy. It's going to be very powerful. So what are we? Are we part of the instrument of God to allow that to happen? We're instruments. We're instruments of what God is accomplishing by prophecy. Did he prophesy it? Did he say it was going to come to pass? Yes. And it is coming to pass. Are we joined to Jesus? Is Jesus among us now? Yes, he is. I know I feel it. He's among us. He's teaching us. He's showing us things. We have a greater understanding now than we've ever had. And we're going to get even greater in understanding. We're going to be greater in being led by the Spirit. Before, we allowed a lot of flesh to lead and guide us in what we did toward God. Now we're coming to the point where we're going to listen to the Spirit and allow the Spirit to guide us in everything that we do. The only way you can do that is to continue in the Word of God. Continue in faithfulness. Continue in obedience. Continue in the things that God has said that you to do. Continue in prayer so that God may heal your soul. Continue in these things. Continue to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Isn't that good that you can do that? So the ability to do those things are innate. They're in you. You know why? Because that's what God put in you when he put the anointing in you. That is in you. That's the thing that God is talking about when he says that anointing that abideth in you. He put it there. So we can't say, well, I don't have the, the ability. I don't have the tools. I don't have the, uh, 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 uh. the tools been put there. The tool is the anointing. The tool is the Christ, which means the anointed one. That's within you. That's in the inward man. The power for that to work has to come through your will being changed to his will. Your mind being changed to his mind. Isn't that what it is? So, uh, very powerful thing. So I'm thinking about a story. Uh, um, I think it's in... Um, Maybe it is in I No, it may not be. Isaiah, I think it's where it's in Isaiah. You remember King Hezekiah. And we've said this story before, but I want you to think about something in it. Um, there was a, a great king in the world called Sennacherib. And he, he, huge kingdom. He was a Syrian. Huge kingdom. And he had defeated just about everybody that he had come against. He had a general by the name of, I don't know if I'm saying this right, Rabshakeh. I think that was his name. But he had a general that he would send to different things and say, okay, I want you to take care of this area for me because I'm going to be over here doing something else. He had generals he could send out and still defeat nations and, and, and governments and whatever and then bring everything all back to him. And I thought this was kind of unique. But anyway, Sennacherib told Rabshakeh, he said, you write him a letter to Hezekiah. 
and tell him that don't put trust in God. Don't put trust in God. And he said, because all these other people we've defeated, they put trust in their God. He said, and we defeated them all. Doesn't make any difference. So if you think your God is going to save you from me, there's no way that's going to happen. Everyone I've come against, I've defeated their God and I've defeated them. So when they put their trust in their God, it did not stop me from winning the victory and overrunning them and overcoming them and making my kingdom greater. So he, he sent that word and told Hezekiah, I said, don't. And he told the people, he get an open thing to the people, said, don't let your king fool you. Don't let him fool you that you're going to be rescued from me. You've heard the rumors that I'm coming, but don't believe them because I'm going to do the same thing to you that I did to the others, you know. And so Hezekiah took the letter. I love this. And he told the Isaiah, said, pray to the Lord about all of this. But he took the letter and took it to the temple, spread it out, laid it before the Lord, because that's where the worship was. That's where the prayer was going to be made. And he laid it out and he said, Lord, see what he said he's going to do? You know, and, and the people were in straits right then. They said, you know what, there's no way. We've heard all of this. You get shaky. Maybe you get a little doubt because of somebody that big coming against you. But he said, no, nope, we're going to turn to the Lord. He did the right thing. He turned toward the Lord and put, laid that letter out and let God see it. And he said, oh, Lord, we are not able to stand against so great a uh, people as this. But he said, but we know you can. We're going to need you to do this, to save us. And he thought maybe might be one of those things where his army just, you know, still uses his army and maybe that little army might defeat this huge one. But it wasn't like that. That's not what God was going to try and show Hezekiah. Uh, he told Isaiah to tell Hezekiah, I'm going to show you something different this time. I'm going to be with you, but I'm going to show you something different. So Hezekiah didn't know what the difference was going to be, but God said something to him. There was a, I don't know if you want to call it a prayer or something that was said after that. And God said, I'm going to put my hook in Sennacherib's nose. I'm going to put my bridle between his lips, and you will see that I have a Lord. <laughs> so I'm going to take him, I'm going to hook him by his nose and pull him where I want him to go. And I'll put a bridle in his lips and so forth. And Hezekiah's going, wow, what a word from God. What a word. And uh, he said, uh, Sennacherib has come up before me. So see, Hezekiah didn't know that. Sennacherib had come up before him because he was in a rage against the God of Israel. He was raging against him. He had heard so much about him. He said, we're, I'm going to take my army and we're going to show. So he, he used his God and said, we're gonna, I'm raging against this God of the Israelites. And we're, we'll see what's going to happen. So it was a personal thing with him. And it became personal to God when he did that. Because what are you doing? You're coming against the God of all the earth and saying those things. So God said, I'm going to show you how good it's going to be for you. I'm going to put my hook in your nose and the bridle in your lips. And I'll lead you where I want you to go. He, he said that to him. Well, here's the gist of the story. He came up, Rabshakeh was the general leading him. Sennacherib was at another place defeating another country. But he got the report from Rabshakeh. But... Rabshakeh took 185,000 men against that city. <laughs> the angel of the Lord went through that night, and the next morning when they all woke up, woke up, all they could see were corpses. 
angel of the Lord again. That should remind you of another story we just went over not too long ago. That angel of the Lord came by and slew 185,000 of them. Powerful thing. When Sennacherib got the word, he quit the stuff he was doing about coming to <laughs> other countries. First time he'd ever been defeated like that, ever. Quit what he was doing, went back to his castle. Two of his own sons came and slew him in the king's quarters. His own sons. They slew him. And then another third son took over the kingdom. That's powerful, huh? And that's what happened. So he lost everything. He lost his army. He lost all of his, what he had, in, and, his, and another son took over. And his own children soon. So God even allowed things to happen in his household, in his thing, to bring him to the point. He said, I told you what I was going to do. He made a personal affront against God, and God did not take that. And so God was showing something here. If God is on your side, can you be an overcomer? That's what they were saying this morning, right? If God is on your side, it doesn't make any difference how big the adversary is or how great he is. Can you be an overcomer with Jesus with you? Our problem has been this. We always thought that we could overcome things because our flesh led us to believe we could do that. If I do so many prayers, if I study so often, whatever it may have been, you thought you were going to attain to heaven because of your efforts. But that's not how it's going to work. The only way you're going to enter in is through the Spirit of God. Being led by the Spirit of God, and the only way you're going to ever be led by the Spirit of God, you have to follow His Spirit as it leads. And as that happens, you're going to be obedient to it. You're going to follow it. You're not going to be distracted. You're not going to fall off and go to another place. You are not going to put your worldly issues before God and say, this is more important right now. You may have everybody in here has issues in their life. Everybody in here. Issues that you come up against. That's not the thing about God. God's not wondering about whether you're going to get out of things here in this physical earth. That's something we go through. We just have to go through it. What God is thinking about is where is your mind right now? Where is your mind? Where is your heart? Is it toward him or is it toward self about what I can do, what I can accomplish myself? Hey, let me tell you something. You'll never enter heaven being the I. I can do it. I can do it. You'll never get there. You'll never get there. It has to be the we. I and my father have come in and we sup with you. Isn't that what Jesus said? He said that. And he said, Father, those that you've given me out of the world, I have kept them. 17th chapter of St. John. Uh-huh. I and them and them and me. Oh, we and them and them. Then he said he just took it all the way down the line. He said, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to do it by us being with them and them loving us and be obedient to us. That's how it's going to work. So to be an overcomer, remember the seven churches? How are they going to overcome all those things? The only way it's going to be with Jesus. Remember, how did, let's go through the little system there. He comes to him and tells him who he is. And then what does he do? He shows them what they've done, good. And then he tells them what they've done, wrong. And then he does what? Does he, does he give them the answer? He gives them the answer to all of this? The, the understanding to it, whatever? He accomplishes it for them. And then after that, they get the reward. Isn't that how it goes? That's how God's doing it. We have to know who God is, don't we? 
And we have to know, yeah, we've done some good. Guys, we've done good. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. He calls us that. He calls us sons. He calls us children of God. Yes. But what God wants us to do is to be wholly committed unto him. W-H-O-L-L-Y. All of us, every part of you. And there's still not every part committed to God. I'm just telling you that. And remember Dan spoke about the, the dark, beautiful thing that God showed him and it came out of him. And he marveled how beautiful it was. And then what did he find out it was? It was the man of sin. And he looked beautiful. It was the man of sin. Remember how he said that? He marveled at it, at what it was. But what was God showing him? It's not going to appear always as being something ugly. It may be something beautiful. And he's shown him that there were still parts of the man of sin in him. And God had to pull it out and manifest it and show it to him. Is there darkness still? 1 Corinthians 4, 5, judge nothing before the time. Because what's God going to do? He's going to shine a light on the hidden things of darkness. Didn't he say that? That's what's going to happen. He's shining a light. Let me tell you guys now. The now is, is the light being shown. He's shining the light on the hidden things of darkness. There may be parts that may have to come out of you that God may have to reveal. If, uh, what about those depths of evil they were talking about the other day? I'm still marveling at the analogy that, that uh, Keith made. Yeah, we, we, that tree of evil, we got the lower fruit and what we could reach. <laughs> you know, that's how we do, find the apple tree and we pick all the apples that are closest to us, the oranges or whatever, right? It's easy then. But what about you have to get those ones that are way up at the top? You're going to have to do some climbing. You're going to have to do some work. You're going to have to do something. That's how the evil is. There is so much more we have not realized yet. We've only grasped the lower limbs, the lower hanging fruit, the lower hanging fruit. That is true. That's a great analogy because God wants us to go on. What is a tree? It's a man. God wants us to understand there's much more in man and that there is a man of sin that thinks he's in a kingdom and is king over that man. That's what we're fighting against. Gary said it again this morning. He said, that, man, it, it's so huge, the thoughts that we have, all these thoughts that you may get in your mind, all the things that you appear that you're fighting against and whatever. But he said, don't do it alone. Don't do it through yourself. Do it with God. God is there with you. As you enter these things, he said, well, how do I know when and how would God will do it? God will bring it. When those things come to you, he said, now this is the time. You may have been dealing with that thing five years, whatever it may be. But then God will say, this is the time now. Because what have you done in the meantime? Do you think maybe you've grown in strength, wisdom, understanding? And through prophecy, this is the prophetic time for you, for you to overcome? That's exactly how it works. There's a time to overcoming things that pulled us down so far, almost pulled us out from God. And we have to experience those things. And as we experience them, guess what happens? God will show you that with him you have more strength than you thought you had. And that the thing you thought you could not do without, God shows you that you're able to do without it and then some. What you were comfortable with, you're not going to be comfortable with anymore. Isn't that cool? 
you're not going to be comfortable with anymore. Hezekiah became a very, he's one of the good kings that you read about. Became a very good king. He, he did something that was a little foolish later on. This is the king that does this. He says, uh, God send him, sends him a message and says, well, your time is up. You're going to die soon. To me, that would be a rejoicing time. You know why? If God took the time to tell me that's what's going to happen, he considers me a good king, guess what? Let's go. That's the way it would be. Hezekiah loved much more, here's the problem, much more in his life. And he said, Lord, give me more time. Remember, he goes out into the garden, there's the sundial. And the dial shows, it puts a shadow on it. And what he says, give, and the Lord told him, he said, okay, he brings the sundial around, said, I'll give you that much more time. He said, I'm granting you a request, but here's what another thing is. He should have gone when the Lord told him. Because some things happened to Hezekiah after that by asking for more time. That's a powerful thing. Go back and read it. It's a great story, man. It's not a story. It's how God says life works when we hold things so precious in this life and not in the life of Christ. You want to extend this life? Lord, when it's time for me to go, I'm ready. <laughs> Let's go. I don't want to stay here any longer than I have to. If he tells me he's going to take me and that I've accomplished what he told me to accomplish, let's go. That's a good time to leave. Because what happens? Do I pass from death to life? Yes, I do. And life of what? The life of Christ. I pass from a death of being in a body here to a life eternally with Christ. Which one would you rather have? I've heard people say they had these near-death experiences and they went to these great places. They may have. They may have done that. But one thing I hear them all say when it's really a good experience, that the first thing they say, I didn't want to come back. I remember Kiko told us that, didn't she, Ma? When, when, when we were up at St. Joe's Hospital, they did an operation on her, and it was on her heart. And I think they put that valve in or something. And then she got in trouble somehow or whatever. And so right in her hospital bed, they opened up her chest again. And then they took the bed out of the room and ran down the hallway to the OR. Seriously, they opened her up in her, in her room where she was at because they couldn't wait. She would have died. So they opened her up. And we're standing in the hallway and he just rushed right past it. I'm serious. Took her to the OR and then completed it. And she said, during that time... She saw some things. And one of her children, which one was it, Ma? Was it Michael that she said she saw? She said, uh, was it Robert? Which one was it? What would you say? Robert. And he told her that she had to go back. <laughs> he saw Robert go back. God used her son to give her a message. to. Now, this is in the spirits, not like what they are here. See how that works? That, that's a powerful image. That's why I never negate anything Kiko tells me because she does have that thing where she can see things that God shows her from time to time. And uh, I think that's a powerful thing. So she may, she's in the midst of something right now, huh? Has she been through it before? Yeah. We, we just pray for her. We just ask God's will to be done. But wasn't that a powerful thing? What, what, how would you have reacted then? Think about it. Would there have been fear? 
with your bent. You see where I'm going with this? So where, where is our trust? Where is our hope? It's in God. No matter what happens, it may look bad, very bad. It looks like things aren't going to come together. It looks like things are not going to be knit and, and you're not going to be, you're going to be divided in some way. It looks like nothing's going to work. The, the two parts don't fit. You see how that works? And you say that, and I think about this. I think about the prophet, you know, going through and they're working, and the guy cries out he lost the axe. And the prophet comes up and looks. He says, there it is. Brings it up, uh, an axe floating in the water. Go get your axe. Powerful. Something as simple as that. You think about what God is able to do. Simple things, great things. Simple deliverance, great deliverance. I've seen God do some great delivering. Great. And I've also seen him do very simple things. And you know what? I rejoiced at both. I'm happy when people overcome. I get the joy from it too. If I see them overcoming something that they had a great struggle with, and to see them come out victorious at the end, how can I not rejoice in that? You see how that works? I rejoice in the victory that they thought was impossible. I rejoice with them. I rejoice for them. Sometimes I'm rejoicing before they finally get to the point where they rejoice because I see what God's doing. I'm seeing him delivering them from the clutches of something so great that it could have taken their soul. It's good to be an overseer over a church. Like I said before, you're in me and I'm in you. All of you are. So when I see things like that and I I say, and I pray that way, I pray, Lord, help them. They need help. Lord, help them. They need help. You know, because I'm praying because the same thing, what does it say? Have those things been in my world? Yeah, maybe some of them are things for me to experience still, huh? You never know. As I see God work on them and help them to overcome, I I get faith that I can overcome. You say, well, you're the elder. You should have had it already. No, no, there's things that I still have to experience too. Many things I still have to experience. Isn't that true, Ernest? We, We have to experience many, many things. But why are we experiencing them? Do we have a zeal of God that God's going to bring us through? Zealous of good works? Let me read something to you. Very powerful thing. Listen to this. That thing I told you about, Rabshakeh and all of that, this is the ending of that. And it says, um, For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant, and they that escape out of Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, She'll perform this. She'll do this. He was telling them that after all of this is over with, you're going to be able to go out, in and out the way you need to go in and out and so forth. And here's the other thing that was so cool about that. That 185,000 they left when they were dead as corpses in the morning. Look at all that stuff they brought with them. Hezekiah and his men just went out there and picked it up. (laughs) Everything. You know, gear for tents, swords, spears, shields, whatever was there. 
food that they may have had to, to do that. Maybe money, gold and silver, they brought with them. But they were dead. They were corpses. Israel, the one that belonged to God, the one that God said is my son, went out and picked up all of that from the enemy. I want you to think about something. When the children of Israel left Egypt, what did, they, what did the Egyptians do? Go ahead, Terry. They gave them gold and jewelry and whatever. Why? What, what were the statement they made by giving them that? They said some things. Anybody remember? He said, you guys are proliferating here. You're, you're getting stronger than us, whatever. We want to get rid of you. Here, take my gold and silver and go. <laughs> so did God provide that for them so they could have that so they could go? Say, yeah. Yeah, you guys are, we're, we're kind of worried about you guys. Because what did Pharaoh try to do? Kill all the, he, he said, told the midwives, he said, you know, when them male babies come out, kill them. <laughs> Remember? He said, you guys are proliferating too fast or whatever. And that's almost caught Moses, didn't it? Remember the mom took Moses, uh, did the basket thing and put him in the water? They were killing the Hebrew Jews. They were trying to get rid of them. They were hiding them, whatever. Because the edict was, Pharaoh said, get rid of them. And, and Pharaoh even got to the uh, midwives and said this, we're still having as many as we did before. What are you doing? And they told him, they said, well, when we go to take the baby, they, they birth so quick that it's be- before we can do <laughs> anything. And they're out, you know. I mean, it, the story is huge to me. Everything that God provided, it may sound like to you like it's something that would happen in the world. To me, it sounds like the miracle of God that Pharaoh's daughter, bathing in the river, catches one of the Hebrew kids that's been put in the river to save their life in a basket because the mom didn't want to see it die, and she looks at it and falls in love with that baby instantly and pulls it out, and she says, I know this is one of the Hebrew children. I know it's one of them. And here's the thing that's so powerful about it. Sister and mama are there. They're on the other side watching what's happening with the basket. And, and Miriam comes over and she said, yeah, I can find somebody to take care of the child for you. Got the mama. <laughs> that is powerful to me. That is powerful. Oh, my goodness. So you're going to be the governess. You're going to be the nanny. And as this prince is ready. And you know the story. Disney put it out, the prince of Egypt, didn't they? Uh-huh. But he was a Hebrew raised in Pharaoh's household. Why did God want him raised there? To see everything those Egyptians did, how they did it, how they performed it. He knew everything about it because he was raised as the, the princess's son. That is so far. He knew all about it. So by the time he had to flee and by the time he had to come back, whew, said he would rather suffer the things that the Israelites were suffering rather than be in the in the king's household again. Didn't it say that about him? Very powerful. Killed an Egyptian to save a Hebrew. Didn't he do that? Very powerful. So what is God telling us? Why am I saying all these things? Is the zeal of God, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, being made manifest all the way from the Old Testament all the way up to now? You look at Paul, the zeal of the Lord of hosts. You think about that. You look at Jesus himself. You look at all those disciples that follow the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. 
They had a hunger for God. They gave their lives to God. They believed God and then walked like God told them to walk. Read the book of Acts again and see the power that God manifested in them. The things that Jesus did, they did. And he told them they were going to do it. And they did. Isn't that powerful? What did Jesus come for? You think he came for all the people in the world? Or did he come for the 12? He came for the 12. Chosen by God. Put into prophecy. So that they would turn the whole world upside down. And did they? They did. Are we still reaping the benefits of them turning the world upside down? Are we not followers of those things that they preach? It's still going on. A couple thousand years later, we're still doing it. Do you think maybe the zeal that they had to accomplish the will of God benefits us today? What if they were lackadaisical? What if they were lazy? What if they had been slack concerning his promise? We'd have nothing, would we? So don't you be that way. Don't you be slack. Let's get on the ball with God. Everything. Everything he says to do. There's things God has told us to do. We need to do them. And once we do them and we continue to follow in that place, continue to follow the light, God is going to bring us into his spirit, into his kingdom, and we will see what Jesus saw and what he sees now. We will be led by that spirit in everything. I like what Dan said. I think this will be close to the end of what I'm going to say. He said, then the flesh will be an afterthought. That was a great statement. You living in the flesh, Patty, it's going to be an afterthought. That's just something I have to deal with from time to time. You're in the spirit. You're going to be in the spirit of God. But the flesh will be an afterthought. Ah, when I got to deal with it, I got to deal with it. But your thing is going to be, says he, that you're going to follow the spirit. You've already been chosen out. So what's going to happen next? If you give yourself totally over to God, I mean everything. Don't withhold anything from him. What God says to do, you do. What he says to do toward the church, what he says to do for obedience, all of those things, do it all. Be faithful in all things. If you're faithful in little, he'll make you faithful over much. Let's do it. Let's live our lives like God wants us to live it. Not like we want to live it. We have so many things we want that distract us. But let's live our life how God wants us to live it. And you're learning that every time you hear preaching. God's telling you how he wants you to live. He's telling you how he wants you to walk. He's, tell, he's giving examples in his word about how he wants you to do. That's good stuff, isn't it? You think he left you without a witness? Where's the witness at? Ernest, it's within yourself, isn't it? That's the witness. And what's in you? Christ in you, isn't it? Isn't he the hope of glory? He's in you. What we got to do is veil this flesh and see the glory. The glory of God is being made manifest now. And all we have to do is look at it and allow God to pull us where he wants to pull us. The reason I use pull sometimes, because sometimes he has to pull us up out of the pit. He'll pull us up out of it, wouldn't he? He'll do that. He may pull us away from the strange woman. He may pull us away from hell. He has to do that sometimes. He has to reach down and grab you and pull you. This is what God is doing. He's reaching deep into your world 
to pull you out of things that you don't need to be involved in. Does that make sense? Watch your thoughts. Be aware of your thoughts. Be aware of how you're being led. Don't listen to every voice. Listen to the voice of the elders, the voice that you hear in the word, the voice when God speaks to you directly. Anything else, don't pay attention to it. It's not time for that. It's time right now for us to follow the voice of the Spirit. And it's going to come through the preaching of the gospel. I'm telling you that right now. This gospel being preached is showing you where you have to go. So forget everything else. Have a zeal, a hunger, an enthusiasm, an excitement to do the things of God. I, I like the hunger one. It's almost like you have an appetite. You, you got to have it. I know when I'm hungry, I got to eat. <laughs> I don't know about everybody else. Man, I think my wife looks at me sometimes while I'm eating. She said, slow down, Daddy. It's, it's there. <laughs> when I'm hungry, I eat. Well, what's that? That's that appetite. What if you have a hunger for God like that? A hunger inwardly that you hunger for the things of God. Remember you said you sit at the table, right? He anoints your head with oil. The enemies are there too. Isn't that how it works? And then they see God bless you by anointing you and letting your cup run over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell at the house of the Lord forever. All the days of my life. Isn't that a good anointing, Jacob, to do that? God seeing what you need. The enemy right across from you and then they start to shrivel up and back away. Because God's anointing you with oil and showing you that he's going to deliver you. Right in their midst. I love that. So the enemy sees and says, I can't mess with him no more. <laughs> God's doing something here. Did you come to get us before our time, Jesus? Be quiet. Because you have authority over that. Oh, God, this is powerful. Thank the Lord for what he's saying, what he's doing. I hope all of you have a great following of Jesus. What do I mean by that? That you make up in your mind right now, you're going to follow, follow, follow. Continue. What did you say earlier, Terry? Continue, huh? Continue, continue, continue. Don't even let death separate you. Don't let life separate you. Don't let any of those things separate you from the love of Christ. Do it all. Do it all in the name of God. Isn't that cool? Good stuff. Anybody have a question for me or anything about what I said? I'm a little excited this morning. I don't know why, but I'm very excited just thinking about it. But that's good stuff, huh? Um, we'll be on tomorrow night with you, huh? Tomorrow night. Remember, Chicago's on at 5? Chicago's on at 5. Gary did good this morning, didn't he? Those that have heard that, good stuff. So um, the more we listen to it, the more we're encouraged, right? Be encouraged in the Lord.